we thank God for, for this morning as we come together as well, even as we are about to look into his word. Um, one of my desires for us as the church <clears throat> is that when we come together and hear the word of God, that it will not be something that is just interesting, but it will be something that we continue to apply in our lives, that our lives will reflect the very fact that we hear the word of God, that we are being transformed by the word of God each and every day. That is my desire for us as a church, that as a church we will grow strong in, 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 in loving God, in loving one another, and in, in, in uniting together. These are things that I, I, I want to see for us as, as the church. These are things that I wish we would grow more um, as, as, as we come together, that it will not be something that happens just on Sunday. We remember that when we started this, um, this series, the first thing I expressed was that it will be something that we use to encourage one another, something that we use to uh, minister to one another. The Bible is, 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 is full of uh, the one another the, the one another commands, love one another, help one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another, correct one another. These one another's are to be, um, are to be manifested in the life of the church. And this is what I want us to, to display even in our lives as we come together um, every Sunday. Amen. So we continue today looking at Matthew chapter 5 looking through the Beatitudes. Um, we've gone th uh, from um, verse 1, and today we are on verse 8. Um, we looked at uh, Matthew chapter 5. Today we are on verse 8. We're going to look at the subject of purity of heart. Purity of heart. I'll read Matthew chapter 5, but I'll read verse 1 to, to verse 8. Our point of focus will be verse 8 today. Um, this is the word of God. Let us hear him. Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this is the word of God. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us this morning. Open up your word to us. Give us ears to hear. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may look to you, delight in your instructions, 
in your corrections, in your rebukes. That we may be trained in righteousness to be adequate, to be equipped for every good work in serving one another, in loving one another, in growing together, in honoring and, and loving you. God, we praise you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who has brought us to yourself by his blood. And remind us, oh God, even as we look into your word of your will, remind us of your delights. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. We, we live in a world that is concerned about looks and appearances. Everyone is concerned about how they look and how they are perceived. And so we spend so much time working on our outward um, aspect, on the outward aspect of our lives. We, we wear the right clothes, we, we, we say the right things and act the right way. Sadly, while doing these, these things, we neglect the most important aspect of our lives, and that is the heart. The heart is hidden from the eyes of the world. So one can look good, can speak good, and, and act good, while the heart is far from God. God says through the prophet Jeremiah that... Um, in Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. So in other words, God's vision is unlike that of other people. He, he, he sees right through the makeup. He, he sees through the cool clothes. He sees through the nice words. He does not see as people see. He does not look at the outward uh, appearance alone. That is why when Jesus came, he, he was not impressed by the Pharisees' um, the Pharisees show of religiosity and, and, and pretense of godliness. He, he was not impressed by any of that. Look, listen to what he says in, in, um, in, in Matthew 23, verse 25 to 28, when he rebukes the Pharisees. He says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like, you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones, and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The religion of the Pharisees was a religion of appearance, but not the religion of the heart. 
although it was impressive in the eyes of people, when, when people observed them, they would be impressed. But in the eyes of God, it was disgusting and detestable. He calls them blind Pharisees. In other words, what he's, seeing, what he's saying is that they cannot see God. They are blind. And here in this beatitude, Jesus presents the way to see God. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He says that the heart of the issue in seeing God starts with the issue of the heart. It starts with the issue of the heart. And I want us, as we look at this passage, to see two things. First, I want us to see the necessity of purity of heart. And I want us to see the reward to the pure of heart. The necessity of purity of heart and the reward to the pure at heart. First, let us look at the necessity of um, heart purity, of purity of heart. In verse uh, 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart. You see, heart purity is the essential mark of those who are children of God. Those who identify themselves with God. Those who say, I'm a Christian. Those who say, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. By faith, by grace through faith in Christ must be marked by heart purity. But the question is, what does Jesus mean when he says pure at heart? What does it mean? Explaining the word pure, John MacArthur says this. He says the Greek term was often used of metals that had been refined until all impurities were removed, leaving only the, the, the pure metal. In that sense, purity means unmixed, unalloyed, unadulterated, and applied to the heart. The idea is that of a pure motive of single-mindedness, undivided devotion, spiritual integrity, and true righteousness. It gives us the idea of someone who is wholeheartedly devoted to God and the cause of God. Someone who desires to serve God alone. And, and, and of course, purity of heart does not mean complete sinlessness. It does not mean that one is without sin in this world. Paul speaks about Christians who are daily fighting sin, where there's a battle inside between the spirit and the flesh. But even though that is the case, even though there's a battle between the, 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 the spirit and the flesh, there is a desire in a Christian, in a true Christian, for purity. There's a desire to pursue purity in the sight of God. And the question that we, 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 we must ask is then, what is the necessity of purity? What is the necessity of purity? And let me... Uh, briefly highlight four reasons for, for the necessity of, of purity. 
First, purity is necessary because God is pure or, or God is holy. The Bible says God is holy and it calls us to, to, to be holy because God is holy. And Peter explains this very well in First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He says this to, to, to the believers. He says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. See, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. In other words, purity of heart makes us like God. It makes us like God. And, and this must be our joyous pursuit, to be like God in purity. I love how um, Thomas Watson explains this. And he, 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 he says this. He says, there is little comfort in being like God in other things besides purity. Are we like him in that we have been? So have stones. Are we like him? In that we have motions, we have motion, so have stars. Are we like him because we have life, so have trees and, and birds? Are we like him in that we have knowledge, so have devils? There is no likeness to God which will prove comfortable and blissful, but our being like him in purity. God loves the pure in heart. Love is founded on likeness. And close quote. So uh, purity is necessary because God is, is pure. And secondly, purity is necessary because of the danger of sin. And I want you to listen carefully here. Purity is necessary because of the danger of sin. You see, the pursuit of purity deals a hard blow on sin. Sin is the poison of the heart. Sin poisons the heart. Jesus says in, in, in Matthew chapter 15 verse 19, he says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. In other words, Sin is at war with believers. Sin is the enemy of purity. Sin is the enemy of, of holiness. Sin breaks the heart of God. The Apostle Paul says it, 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 it grieves the Holy Spirit. If we are to, to, to be pure in heart, we must always stand ag against the attacks of sin. We must fight sin. In Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 5 and 6, Paul says this. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. Then he enumerates what is earthly in us. He says, it's sexual immorality. It's impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And he says this. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming on account of these things. And this is where the, the, the danger of sin lies. It opens up the floodgates of God's wrath. So our response to sin must be militant. It must be aggressive. It, it must be merciless. 
we must have the same attitude sin has over us. Kill, kill, kill. We must never embrace sin or flirt with sin. Our attitude must be as aggressive as sin's attitude is aggressive towards us. And John Owen says it very clearly. He says, if you are not killing sin, sin will be killing you. Because sin doesn't take a break, does it? It doesn't take a break. If you are not killing sin, sin will be killing you. And friends, we must fear even to commit a single sin. It takes a small spark. We all know this, right? It takes a small spark to set the whole forest ablaze. And it will only take one sin to give birth to a multitude of sins that will end up as a habit, as a life-enslaving habit. See, those who value purity of heart deal with sin before it has strength to enslave. In other words, deal with anger before it turns out into outbursts. Deal with gossip before it destroys relationships. Deal with pride before it leads to falling. Deal with resentment before it leads to slander. Deal with lust before it leads to adultery or sexual immorality. Deal with the love of money before it leads to corrupt practices. There is an Dewele idiom which says, Ulikoba lisa semanzi. Ulikoba lisa semanzi. What that means is that the best way to bend a tree is when it is small or weak. The best way to bend a tree is when it is small or weak. Because when it grows and the trink, trunk becomes strong, you will never bend it anymore. It is the same with sin. The best way to kill it is in its first appearances. Um, there's uh, an old um, old uh, book. It's called Asiops. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm pronouncing it right. Asiops uh, Fables. Right? Um, so in, in this book he tells um, stories where he makes uh, moral uh, applications to life. And in one of the stories, he tells a story of a young man who, who, who went up on a mountain and um, the mountain was covered in snow. So when he got up on the mountain, he, he saw a snake. And then the snake is is, is shivering and it's cold and it's freezing and it, it, it looks at the young man and it, it says to him, help me. And the young man says, you are a snake. How, how can I help you? You're going to bite me. And the snake says to the young man, I, 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 I promise I will, I will not bite you. Please help me. I'm dying. 
And the young man, out of pity for the snake, takes the snakes and rolls it around himself. And he, he, he covers it and he goes down to the mountain. The snake starts to become warm and warm. And when, when, when he gets to the, to the bottom of the, of the mountain, he puts the snake down. And what happens after that, the snake looks at the young man and it bites the young man. He looks at the snakes and he, and he says to the snake, but you promised never to bite me. And the snake says to the young man, you knew what I was when you took me. This is the same with sin, isn't it? We, we, we know that sin is dangerous. We, we know that, that the wages of sin is death, but we still do what? We still, we still flirt with sin. We still go after sin. That, that when sin starts to destroy us, and we, we like, I thought you only promised pleasure. But sin will always say, but you knew what I was before you took me. You knew what I was. So um, purity is necessary because of the danger of sin. Again, thirdly, purity is necessary because it is the will of God. Purity is necessary because it is the will of God. Paul makes it clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, when he says, this is the will of God. Pause right there. Let us take a pause. Just right there. Think about it. How many times have you heard Christians saying, I want to know what God's will for my life is? And how many times have you said that yourself? How many times have you said that yourself? I want to know what God's will is for me. The Bible is clear, isn't it? It is clear. God has spoken and God has revealed his will for your life. You do not have to have a dream or you do not have to see a vision or you do not have to visit some prophet to know what God's will for your life is because God has revealed his will for your life in black and white and it's very clear. You just need to, to take the word of God and plunge your face in it and you will see what the will of God is for you. It is clearly revealed in black and white. Paul says this, this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Your sanctification is the will of God. It couldn't be any more clearer than that. Your sanctification, your purity, God's will for his children is that they be holy, is that they be pure, and that is his will for us. Amen. This is the will of God. Purity is necessary because it is the will of God. And, and, and the point is, if holiness, if purity is God's will, then it should be the Christian's delight. If it is God's will, then it should be your delight. It should be your delight to pray to God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To cry out in the midst of temptation when sin tries to, 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 to overtake you. When you are warring against the, 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 the flesh. When sin is warring against the spirit. You are saying to God, not my will. I, I, in my flesh I want to sin. But your will be done. Your will be done. Crying out for the will of God. Because purity 
is the will of God. It is the will of God. Paul continues to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7 to 8, he says this, God has not called us to impurity. God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Amen. So, purity is necessary because it is the will of God. And lastly, purity is necessary because it testifies of the gospel in our lives. Listen carefully. Purity testifies of the gospel in our lives. Paul says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Uh, this speaks of the transforming effect of the gospel on those who were dead in sin and trespasses, on those who were haters of God. The gospel transforms their lives. And because of what Christ did on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have become new creatures. Those who have truly been transformed by the gospel walk in newness of life. The old things have passed away. We, we now identify ourselves with Christ. And, and, the, and the Bible says that those who identify themselves with Christ are to depart from iniquity. We are to depart from sin. We are to separate ourselves from sin. And James he says this very clearly. He says a religion that is pure and undefiled before God is when one keeps oneself unstained from the world. In James chapter 1 verse 27. In other words, the gospel frees us from sin, but it doesn't make us free to sin. It frees us from sin, but it doesn't make us free to sin. You see, a heart that is pure is a heart that has been changed by God. At the end of the day, the question is not, do you have enough religion? That is not the question. The, the question is not about, do you go to the right church? Or it is not about your Baptist background. It is not about that. The question is, that, that, the, the question that must face each and every one of us, the question that must challenge each and, one, and every one of us is, has God changed your heart? That is the question. Not are you Baptist, not are you Lutheran, not are you, are you, are you, are you Anglican, are you, are you Presbyterian. The question that must face you, that must convict you is, has God changed your heart? Have you met the physician of the heart has he worked out divine heart surgery on you? How's your heart? What is your heart beat? Does your heart beat after the things of God? Do, do, do you love the things of God? Do you love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates? Has God changed your heart? 
This is not about going to church alone. This is not about religion. This is about the fact that God has transformed the heart with the power of the gospel. Has that happened to you? Have you been convicted of your sin? Have you forsaken your sin and followed heart after God and said, I want purity. I want my heart to be pure before God. Has that happened to you? Does your life testify of that very fact? Our lives must, must testify of the transforming power of the gospel. Think about Paul. Think about Paul for a minute. When Paul, before he, he came to Christ, before he was a Christian, he, he described his life in, in 1 Timothy as he was a blasphemer, a, a, a persecutor. A persecutor, excuse me, an insolent opponent. But after he comes to Christ, after his life is transformed by the power of the gospel, he, he says about the churches of Judea in Galatians chapter 1, verse 23 to 24. Listen to this. The churches in Galatia and in, in Judea they were not only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. When they heard what God had done to the Apostle Paul, his life could testify of the gospel. And they glorified God because God had transformed the life of the Apostle Paul. Does your life testify of the transforming power of the gospel? Do you look at people with mercy? Does your life show that God has truly worked in your heart. But when people look at you, do they see God working in you? Do they see a difference from your life before Christ to a life in Christ? So purity is necessary because, first of all, God is holy or God is pure, and he calls us to be pure. It is necessary because of the danger of sin. It is necessary because it is the will of God and because it testifies of the gospel in our lives. So Jesus says, blessed are the pure at heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. These are the ones that God looks upon with his favor, with his smile. They are blessed and to these blessed ones who are pure in heart, there is a reward, which leads us to our second point, the reward to the pure at heart. The reward to the pure at heart. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. You see, the first thing 
we need to keep in mind here is that this promise is made only to the pure in heart. The, the, the word they is emphatic. Meaning that they and they alone shall see God. It is discriminative. They. These ones that are pure in heart. They and they alone shall see God. In other words, if those who will see God are pure in heart, are the pure in heart, then impurity of heart will prevent one from seeing God. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews exhorts the believers in Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 14. He says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Paul again says that it is because of impurity that the wrath of God is coming. And, and on this point, you hear Christians say something like this. They, they object to this. And, and they say, no, that, that, that's not possible. Christians cannot lose their salvation. We hear that, right? Christians cannot lose their salvation. And that is true. That's true. We, we believe in the perseverance of the saints and we believe in the preservation of the saints as well. But I say this, if one is not marked by purity of heart, then there was no salvation to begin with. There was no salvation to begin with. It is the salvation of the lips and not the salvation of the heart. They, they profess, but they do not live it. Jesus says without exception, it is the pure at heart who shall see God. It has to be noted here that this promise that Jesus makes it has both a present and a future fulfillment. The pure at heart will see God in this life and in the life to come. Of course, when he says in this life, seeing God does not mean that we will see him in the totality of his being. It does not mean that we will see him face to face in this life. But we will see him in many ways. And let me just give you three ways. First of all, we will see him through his word. We will see him through his word. You see, I, I can never stress enough the, uh, the, the, the importance of personal Bible reading. We, we, as Christians, we need to spend time in reading the Word. I wish I could just take time and just stop here and start to ask each and every one of you, how much time do you spend in the Word of God? How much time do you give to reading the Word of God? Because this is where God reveals himself. This is where God discloses himself. This is where we are acquainted more and more with God. The word of God comes to life for us as Christians. We see God when we spend time with him in his word. The second way we see God is through creation. 
through what God has created. When we look at what God has created, we see the fingerprints of God everywhere. Unlike atheists who, who try to, to reason away God and come up with, with various reasons as to how that tree came about, how, how that mountain came about, how, how the stars came about. But we know uh, that it is God who has created these things. And when we look at God's creation, our, our mind and, and our hearts as claim as David did in Psalm 19 verse 1 and 2, that the heavens declare the glory of God. We, we look at creation and we, we are like, the heavens declare the glory of God. From day to day, they pour forth speech. They speak and preach about the glory, the power, the greatness of God. So if we were in America a few days ago and the solar eclipse was happening... As Christians, our, our reaction would be, look at what God is doing. We see God everywhere. Thirdly, we see God in trials. Yes, in trials. As Christians, when we go through trials, when we go through difficulty, we do not say the devil is bringing this about. We, we do not say Satan is, 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 is doing this. We, 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 we know that it is God who, who he is orchestrating everything to bring about our good through whatever is happening and to bring about his glory. Isn't that what Paul says? We know that in everything, God works out everything for what for the good of those who, who love him. Right? We, we, we start to see God, the hand of God, the hand of the porter who is molding us through those trials, who is, who is making us uh, strong Christians, strong believers. Remember Job, after he, he experienced his many difficulties that he experienced in life. He, he exclaims in Job, Job 42, verse 5, he says this. He says, my ears have, had heard of you, but, my, but now my eyes have seen you. He was not talking about physically seeing God, but seeing God as orchestrating every event in his life, even the difficult ones. God is in control. God is sovereign. There's nothing that is comforting to the soul as the sovereignty of God. Spend time meditating on the sovereignty of God when you are in trial, when you are in difficulty. Spend time filling your mind with the promises of God. Filling your mind with the attributes of God. Filling your mind of, of who God is and the fact that God is in control. God is not like someone in the corner who is tied and he doesn't know what to do. God is in control and he's with you in the midst of all that you're going through. We see God 
not only do we see God in this life, but ultimately we will see God in the life to come. And that will be the most beautiful vision that we see. The Latins call it the visio dei, the vision of God when we see him face to face. It will be face to face. When we finally see God face to face, our hearts will be overcome and overwhelmed by an indescribable joy and delight that all the struggles that we face in this world will mean absolutely nothing. They will mean absolutely nothing. Because the glory that will be revealed cannot be compared in any way, cannot be compared to the struggles that we face today. It will be so great. It will be, oh my goodness, there are no words in the dictionary. Let us wait a few more years. Maybe the Oxford Dictionary will come with, with a few words to describe this kind of glory. Kent Hughes explains that as believers... We will behold the dazzling blaze of his being that has been and will always be the abiding fascination of angels. Scripture and reason demand that we understand that it will be the greatest event of our eternal existence. The vision of God. We need to believe it. We need the faith and vision of Job who said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. In my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, not another, how my heart yearns within me. Ah, can you imagine that? Can you imagine just uh, on that last day when we are in the presence of God, see him face to face? Can you imagine that? It, it is mind-blowing. It is mind-boggling. It, it's an indescribable imagination. We, 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 we cannot imagine that, 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 what it would look like. I remember a couple of uh, years ago, um, a, 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 a little cousin of mine wanted to go to a park and uh, because there were celebrities that, that came there and, and she couldn't go alone so I, I took her um, so when they came and, and they started to drive in with, with their cars and, and everything and, and you could see the reaction on her face. She was mind-boggled. She, she was amazed. She was, she was on, on another world. You could not describe the joy that was in her heart. She was dancing around. She, could not, she, she did not know what to do to herself. And, and, and in my mind, I'm, I'm just imagining what seeing God will be like. That it will be far better than that. It will be billions and billions, gazillions of times better than anything in this world. It will be worth it. It will be so worth it. That we, 
We should not be like Asaph, who at the end of the day was saying, all in vain have I kept my heart pure. It is not in vain that we are keeping our heart pure. It's worth it. Amen? It is worth it. Amen? It's worth it. The Apostle John also encourages us by telling us that when God appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And he's, then he goes on to say in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, listen to this. He says, and everyone who thus hopes in God purifies himself as God is pure. In other words, those who hope in God, in, in, in his coming, purify themselves because God is pure. We look to him. We trust in him. We are waiting for him. Amen. As we, as we conclude and wrap up, the question that must come to your mind is, how then do we cultivate purity of heart? How, how do I pursue purity of heart? I'll give you two ways. First and foremost, importantly, by looking into the word of God, by, by spending time into the word of God. Uh, Jesus in his prayer for his disciples in John chapter 17, verse 17, listen to what he says to the Father. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, the word of God is the instrument that God uses to sanctify us, to, to purify us. We must spend time in the word. James says that the word of God is like a mirror. It, 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 it exposes the heart. It, it shows us the filth that is in the heart. It, it shows us the deceitfulness of the heart. And Paul, on the other hand, says that Christ washes us by the washing of water through the word. So spend time in the word. Secondly, by prayer. The word and prayer. They go together, right? They are Siamese twins. They, they are never to be separated. The word and prayer. In prayer, we humbly acknowledge that it is only God who is able to make us pure. It is only God who is able to bring about purity of heart. And then we cry out to him. Oh, I want to see Christians crying out to God. The, the, the reason we do not have revival in our day is because people are not crying out to God. People are very relaxed. need to cry out to God because he's the one who purifies who sanctifies and who makes us holy not we ourselves we have nothing to do that for ourselves amen let's pray our dear heavenly father Lord we thank you we thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word you have revealed your will oh God 
We thank you, Father, that you are the God of grace. Lord, you do not expect us to do anything by our own strength. That even though we work out our salvation, we, we work it out knowing that it is you who, who, who works it out, Father, both to will and, and, and to work for your good pleasure. Lord, Lord we thank you for, for the strength that comes upon us to obey your commands. Thank you, Lord. We pray that may you draw our hearts to yourself. May you give us purity of heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray all this. Amen.